Welcome to the Adventures in Ranching podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Waldo. In this podcast, I'm sharing my family's experiences of moving to a ranch in Montana. Well, I don't know that I would call it a ranch. It's something that my mother-in-law calls it, but it's about five acres and it's the most property that we've ever had. And we seem to be well on our way to having a bit of a ranch or ranchette. And who knows where it will go. But what I found is that this journey has called to me. And in this podcast, I share the adventures that we go through of not knowing how to do any of this, not knowing anything about living on more than a small piece of property in more of an urban area or even in a small town or a suburban area. And what we have learned and what we're learning as we go along. My intention with this podcast is for those that are looking for a little entertainment in their day as we go through our adventures, or maybe you're longing to move to your ranch or your ranchette or your homestead or farmette or whatever you want to call a small piece of your own land that allows you to connect maybe with nature, with animals, with more self-sustainability, whatever your purpose is. My goal with this podcast is to share my journey and to inspire you, perhaps entertain you, and perhaps help you explore whether that's something that's right for you as well. So tune in as we embark on our adventure in ranching. Welcome back to the Adventures in Ranching podcast. Oh, today I want to talk about transitions. Transitions. I want to talk about the transition of a dog from a wine country of Northern California dog to a ranch dog. I want to talk about transitions of going from a one horse ranchette to a two horse ranchette and then back to a one horse ranchette and now back to a two horse ranchette. And I want to talk about some other transitions. So let's dive in. Where to begin, where to begin. So, so many things going on. One of the things is that I want to dive into is how many changes we have seen in our family, uh, human and furry, since embarking on this ranching adventure. One of the things that we've seen is our dog, our dog change. Now our dog we got when we were in the San Francisco Bay Area and he came from the wine country. Um, As a matter of fact, the name of his breeder had wine country, the wine country of Northern California in it. Um, and, uh, if you're not familiar with the wine country, it's like when people talk about Napa of Northern California, it's one of the towns right next to Napa that he came from. And he's, um, a mini Australian shepherd and he has loved, you know, being very active. When we lived in California, I would take him out on walks. When we would go to Lake Tahoe, he loved, loved, loved the snow. Um, he's not a big fan of the rain, uh, I discovered. And, uh, and yet, when we moved to Montana and we started this property, it's interesting to see all the changes we've seen in him because... 
even though he's seen snow before, he's never had to go out in, you know, single digits like five degrees, three degrees, dare I say minus 10, minus 29, it got to be minus 29 at one point, not for very long. I think it was maybe for like a day. Um, and I know it doesn't, this part of Montana, it doesn't typically get that cold. This was definitely, you know, unexpected even by the locals that have lived here. Um, but you know, that was something our wine country dog experienced. The other thing is when we decided to get our first horse, it occurred to me after I brought said horse home or I had him delivered to me that our dog had never seen anything so big. I don't know that he had ever seen a cow or a horse even from a window. So in the beginning, because he's a herding dog. He likes to herd things. But um, he, I don't think he had seen a sheep in his life before. Um, pretty much what he herded were our cats. And um, that's about it. <laughs> I would say it would be our cats. Maybe other dogs at the dog park. And when we first got him and he saw the horse, he did not know what to make of this big thing this big brown thing that was our chestnut thoroughbred my chestnut thoroughbred who's very tall 17 hands which um, each if you don't know every hand um, in the horse world is equal to four inches so 17 times four that's how many inches and that's at the withers which is um, if you look at their back and then right where the mane starts that little bumpy part that's called the withers if you know all this obviously you know I'm just spelling out details you don't need to know but if you're new to this whole horse lingo um, that's what that means so he's a pretty tall horse and my mini Aussie and my mini Aussie isn't that mini um, he was supposed to be about 30 pounds according to both of his parents and I think he's about 45 so he's on the small end of a big Aussie or an oversized mini Aussie, but he had never seen an animal that big as this big horse. I mean, I don't have a little pony. I have a big horse. I'm tall and I got a big horse and he did not know what to make of said horse. And he's really gone through some big transitions. He went from not even knowing what to do with the horse to coming out with me on all my barn chores. He basically comes out with me every time I go out. When I go for the walks down the driveway, he comes with me and he loves it. When I go out to feed the horse, he goes out and he loves it. And dare I say, he actually licks the grain bowl when I have dumped the food into the horse's bucket because um, right now the horse is getting some grain that's getting soaked and um she kind of put water on it and let it get soft it's these like beets smart beets and they come as hard pellets and so you kind of put water on them let them soften a bit and then I put some of this other grain on top and that's what he gets morning and night the horse gets and um and so after I've dumped that into the bucket uh into his feeding bucket my dog will go over and lick the remains of that uh, in the um, Tupperware container that I use to kind of soak everything. So he loves that. He loves walking all around. He loves running through. He loves chasing the deer. We have a bunch of white-tailed deer here. I don't want him to do that, um, but we're still working on that part. And he loves running around and he's really changed from being a wine country suburban dog uh, to becoming a real ranch dog, a real ranch dog. And it's really funny because I really see it in his demeanor. You know, he's changed his personality. He's so much happier. He loves it. Um, he's a very loyal dog. Aussies are very loyal and he loves to just be with me. Um, and it's interesting because 
we had before we had him um we had two border collies uh for their whole pretty much their whole lives we had a purebred border collie that we got from a border collie rescue when he was about 16 weeks um 14 16 weeks um and we had him until he died from old age um and then um we had well we had to put him down he was having seizure seizures but he was in his well into his teens he had lived a very good life um and then we had a um half border collie half australian kelpie which is another herding kind of dog so the border collies herd sheep and the australian kelpies herd cattle and um we got him he was about 5 or 6 months old from a rescue and then we also had him until he was um very elderly i think he was like 16 um and he just he was just done poor guy oh my gosh um his body was just worn out he had lived a very good life but what's interesting is when we had before we got the uh it must have been before we got the australian kelpie mix uh the pure border collie we took up to visit Washington State, up to visit Seattle, where we had some family. So we were living in California at the time. And on the way, we stopped to visit um, my husband's cousin who had a horse, um, a horse farm, a horse boarding. I think it was, maybe she wasn't boarding at that time. Maybe it was just a horse farm. She had several horses and a lot of land. Um, in Oregon and we stopped on the way and our dog literally changed his personality Um, as a matter of fact we joked so much that he changed his personality it's like his alter ego came out and um, his name had been Quincy um, which was kind of like he was very smart and kind of very almost like studious (laughs) border collies are very smart and he would just he was he was very um almost like intellectual with how he would think about things but when he went out on the on the farm in Oregon when we took him there it's like his alter ego came out and he became a farm dog a horse dog and we actually joked that we should recall him um, we should rename rename him Hank of Roseburg, uh, because we were in Roseburg, Oregon. That's where the farm was, and it's like Quincy did not fit him. Quincy sounded like some kind of urban studious dog, which we had seen that side of him. But when he was on the horse farm, the cousin's horse farm, it's like he went into auto mode. Well, we saw an interesting thing with our current dog too. When we moved to Montana, um, not just when we were staying in the RV and, you know, um, I don't know that I would have seen it. You know, you can live in Montana and you can live, you know, in, in, in the downtown or you can live in a development and it would be similar to what a lot of like suburbs of urban areas would be like. But living on some land with trees and a mountain and, you know, all kinds of animals and and smells and horses and that sort of thing, our dog has definitely, our current dog has definitely changed his personality um, in in some ways. Not as much as as our Border Collie had because we really saw a huge difference in him, but we definitely have seen a difference from our wine country Aussie to our ranch Aussie. We've seen, it's like he just has a purpose. He just feels really good. And it's been awesome because he loves running around. He loves just going out um, with me and just doing things. And so that's one, one change that we've seen, one transition. Um, we also have cats. Our cats love looking out the window. They're indoor cats, but they love looking out at the trees and the birds and smelling the air. Um, they just love it. They 
think it's great. And we have a we have a catio or two in our future that we're going to build. Um, these have been indoor only cats their entire lives. So we'll keep them indoors, but we're going to create one of those little outdoor enclosures for them to be able to go out um, and still be safe from you know, any wildlife, um, cause we have eagles and hawks and that sort of thing. And these cats are not, um, outdoor savvy here the way some other cats are in this area that kind of know how to avoid predators. But so that's been a change. Um, and it's interesting cause I've talked in this podcast about my husband and I changing, you know, like, I never thought I would get excited about tractors and pickup trucks and line dancing. And I never thought that my husband would ever have cowboy boots or know how to lead a horse or um, know how to hold him for shoeing or or get him out of the pasture or um, any of the stuff that we've learned to do, Um, which I knew how to do all the horse stuff before, but I never had the horse on our actual own property. So that's the part that's new for me. And it's been such an adventure. It's been such an adventure to see all of these changes. I've also seen changes in my kids. I have a full-blown teenager and a preteen, both boys. And when we first came to Montana and we were staying in our RV, um, it was a big transition. And I think that... um, Especially the older one, it's interesting because he'd be like, what are we, what, like, everywhere I look, there's just mountains. I want to see, like, I want to see, like, skyscrapers and a city and, you know, I want to live in a housing development and what are we doing? We bought our house, we're on this land and he's like, you know, what are we doing? We're, like, not near anyone because that's what he had been used to. He had been used to, we never had neighbors that were right in our own neighborhood that the kids knew Um, but they were like five minutes away by car and they were close and you know there was a density level Um, we weren't living in the downtown San Francisco we were living in a town in the East Bay so it wasn't even as dense as certain East Bay cities like Oakland or Berkeley Um, but it was still way more um close together uh, and it felt more like a suburb than where we're living now and we've seen big changes in our in our kids and the the oldest one in particular Um, he's gotten into um, learning about guns um, learning about airsoft guns which he used to like nerf guns and now he really likes airsoft guns um, which if you don't know what that is it's it's like where they um it's not like a real gun. It's like these plastic pellets. So it's kind of like a step up from Nerf guns. And he's gotten really into it. Um, and, you know, just the kinds of things my kids comment on now, like how beautiful something looks at sunset or, um, you know, how pretty a view is, the kind of stuff that they didn't tend to notice before. And how much more comfortable they are with the more outdoor lifestyle. So that's been a change. And then now let's talk about a change in our herd, our horse herd. So if you've listened to any of these previous episodes, you know, you might know that when we first moved to Montana, Um, we just wanted to get a little, we wanted to be close to the mountains, be able to go out, maybe hike. You know, I had this history of horses and riding. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't ever gone back into owning a horse, um, since I left for college. And even though I had started, I rode again in my um, early 30s, late 20s and early 30s, I leased a horse in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, it was like an hour drive to to get there, a beautiful drive uh, into a really high-end area of Silicon Valley where the barns were that I 
went to back then with some great trainers, but it was, it was a drive and, um, and it was really expensive too. And so I never really saw, and then, you know, I had kids, I got married, I had kids, I had back issues. I had a bunch of stuff kind of go on. So I never really knew how to bring horses back into my world until we moved to this property. And then it was kind of like, hmm, maybe down the road, um, maybe we might get a horse. Well, yeah, that wasn't very far down the road because we got, we closed on the property at the end of January and by mid June, a horse was here. Um, and I had started riding back in April, I guess it was. So yeah, I basically got the horse bug back into my system within just a couple of, um, a couple of months of, of living here. And, um, rode somewhere else a little bit just to get myself familiar again with riding and horses and being around them and then ended up realizing I wanted to get my own horse hence now having a 17 hand thoroughbred um which is not a typical you know ranch western type horse um on our property He's actually an ex-racehorse, which if you don't know the term, it's called OTTB, which stands for Off-Track Thoroughbred. And um, he's actually a pretty cool horse because he is a like great-great-grandson of the famous racehorse Secretariat. He has um, some really great bloodlines. He's beautiful to move, and he's a really fun guy to have. And, um, it's, it's interesting, you know, here we have this, you know, ranchette in Montana and there are a lot of quarter horses and Mustangs. Now I grew up before I got into, uh, riding English. So I started when I was started riding when I was about five and I rode Western initially, um, my sister's the one that got me into it. There was a pony across the way and she basically took this like wild pony. Um, I think I was like four at the time and kind of started riding it. And so then I started riding at about age five. Um, and then I kind of had like a pony for the summer around age five or six. Um, and then eventually got my own pony and then another pony and, and, and then, um, a small horse and another horse, another horse, another horse. And I leased some ponies in between and I leased some horses and, and all of that. So I've had many different ones, but I started Western and I did, um, 4-H and I just kind of goofed around. I did a lot of like trail riding and wasn't like hardcore into gaming like barrels and poles but I played around with it with those um with the ponies and the initial horses and then I got into really something called western pleasure with quarter horses with um registered quarter horses and we did that um the circuit and I got really into that um and then I got into I really wanted to switch disciplines that I got into um, hunter equitation and jumping. So I wanted to learn to jump and, um, I got really into that, really, really into it and learn how to jump. And then was, um, you doing a lot of showing, um, a lot more hardcore showing, uh, and this was in the, on the East coast. So it's very competitive there. Um, so, it was, it was a lot of fun, but this is all the hunter, hunter equitation, or sometimes people call it hunter jumper stuff that is with an English saddle. And, um, typically back in those days, um, the, a lot of the horses were thoroughbreds. These days, a lot of the horses are warm bloods. Um, sometimes you might get a quarter horse mix in there, but typically you don't, um, not at, not at the big high end rated shows. And so that was kind of what I was used to. And so that's how I have, um, a thoroughbred here living on this ranch in Montana, which leads me to another transition, which is that I just went on a road trip to get a second horse. Now we 
when we embarked on this, well, we, I shouldn't say we, when I got the horse bug again, because I have found that when you have the horse bug, it kind of lays dormant within you until you find that there's a way for it to kind of come back out. Um, any horsewomen that are out there, maybe you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it doesn't really go away. It just kind of goes maybe into hiatus for a little while. But the moment that I saw that there was a possibility of riding again, um, you know, I got back into riding and then like I said, I got a horse, um, a young thoroughbred that I'm going to, you know, that I'm, I'm restarting. And, um, he was restarted by somebody else, but he's still pretty green. So I have to do a lot of work with him. Um, he's only done a little bit of jumping and he's definitely a project. And once I started riding again, because when I got him, we didn't have our arena. We don't have an arena here on our property. We don't, that's what I was used to training horses in, like a nice sandy arena with like a ring. And and here in Montana, a lot of times too, you want like a covered arena um, because it gets cold in the winter. Well, we don't have an outdoor arena, let alone an indoor arena here because we didn't have anything on this property. We didn't have a single fence. There was the neighbor's fence up along the front for their dog. Um, there's some barbed wire fence along the one side, which we would not use for horses. And then there was nothing for where we would put, you know, horses. So we had to get that all set up. And what I did last year um, was initially I was going to board the horse that I decided I needed to have right away at a farm up the road. And then I made the decision and know that I would eventually bring him here. But I really felt that um, the best thing for us was to bring him here. So we had set up like a temporary pasture and a temporary shelter. Um, and, and then we built our permanent pastures and our permanent shelter. And we created a little area to be like a little arena. It's not really an arena, but a little riding area, which was basically taking part of our grassy field, which, you know, we didn't even know what grasses were growing there or what it was like. And um, kind of trotting it down a bit by making a little bit of a circle and uh, riding there. So the plan was to start trailering the horse to a nearby ring and arena and oh my goodness we had some some things go on with trailering that didn't work and our truck being in the shop and first needing to get a trailer and all of that stuff so there's been a lot of setbacks um and and I didn't do as much riding last year but what ended up happening is I switched disciplines um and started riding with somebody that did more eventing and dressage because the horse that I bought had um, been restarted in dressage. And, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but the kind of riding that I had done, which was hunter equitation, had a lot of foundational dressage in it. Um, by just because of the level of the trainers that I worked with back east and so I had there are a lot of things about dressage and and um, the fundamentals of it that I had already been taught and so it kind of made sense and so during this period what ended up happening is I was working with somebody else just to kind of um I wanted to still get some of my own muscle memory back and muscles and skills back as I'm remembering everything. And I ended up teaching, starting to teach um, on a local trainer's horse. I started to teach my husband how to ride, ride Western because that was what he was interested in. And what ended up happening is we realized, well, I knew I needed to get a, an, a pasture mate for my first horse. It was very clear. And so we needed a pasture mate that um, the goal was to also have this horse be a husband horse. 
and a husband horse, if you haven't had that, heard that term, because it's a hilarious term, is typically when you have, um, not that there aren't plenty of guys all over the world that ride, because there are, um, and especially in Montana, there are a lot of guys that ride here, which is really cool. But in the horse world, um, a lot of times when you have the wife or the woman or the girl that's horse crazy and they partner up, um, get married or have as a boyfriend, um, somebody that is not a horse person. Um, and then said boyfriend, husband, you know, fiance, whatever realizes that their female, female horse crazy person is spending a lot of time at the barn. Sometimes said boyfriend, husband, whatever will decide to get into a bit of riding. And when that is the case, um, you know, a lot of times what the woman or the girl looks for is called a husband horse. And a husband horse is normally a horse that's going to be relatively experienced and calm that you can teach your husband um, or your boyfriend or, you know, whatever, your whatever your relationship is, um, how to ride. And so that's what I was doing. I basically was teaching my husband how to ride on um, this other trainer's horse. She had an older horse that we could do that. And then it became clear that we needed to get a second horse and for that horse to also be a husband horse. Um, And so we, I had gone last fall. um, I had located a horse several states away. Uh, It was, the horse was in Nevada, Southern Nevada, near Las Vegas. And um, I packed up my horse trailer and I went on a grand adventure to get this horse because horses in Montana, there are thoroughbreds, there are, you know, really nice horses, but horses are expensive here. But there's also just not there's a lot of quarter horses, more Mustangs, and um, the kind of horse we wanted, which was a horse that, um, that my husband could ride and I could continue teaching him on. I could teach my boys to ride on. And, and I wanted something that I could do some low level jumping on to develop and continue to get my own jumping skills and my jumping muscles back on an older horse. Um, so that then I can transfer that to working with a younger horse just because it's been so long um, and, you know, it can take a while to get your skills up. So so I went on this amazing road trip and brought back a, an amazing horse that we love, 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 love that horse. Um, his name was Lux and he was an older thoroughbred, um, had been used for lessons. Very, very sweet guy. And he went through a huge transition when he came to Montana because I don't know his history. Um, at one point he had, he came from a private owner, um, but he was quite thin and he was out of work and, um, Prior to that, she had gotten him from somebody that had rescued him from what's called a kill pen. Um, and so there was a lot of questions about his background. But when we got him, um, I knew that he needed a lot of weight. I knew he needed development. Um, and I suspected he had something going on, some kind of a neurological issue. Um, when I drove down to get him... Uh, I kind of knew it was a can of worms and we were either going to be able to um, do some work and save him or I don't know. My heart was gone by that point and we just, I just, I wanted him and we brought him up here and it's like he just blossomed. He blossomed. He put on so much weight. Um, he, He went from kind of being more emotionally closed down to a much more open horse in some ways um just you know and I don't know if that was because he had been used for lessons a lot of times with lessons horses just kind of get used to people coming in and out um but he really bonded with my husband with my son 
um, with all of us really. And sadly, his um, he had a neurological condition that progressed and um, he was getting weaker and weaker over the winter. And at one point he, he fell and um, he fell actually a couple times and he was fine. And then at one point he fell and it was, it was not good. And we're not going to go into the details, but we had to put him down, which broke our hearts, broke our hearts. Um, because, you know, here are these animals that just seem so big and powerful. And yet, um, you know, in some ways, horses can be just so fragile they can just be so fragile in terms of how you can lose them from things that you just can't believe. And, and, and it's so hard when that happens. So we were heartbroken. We really loved this guy. He was going to be just a really great fit for us, which leads me to another transition, which is my, when, when, when we had to say goodbye to him, my first guy has been alone. Um, and it's now been a while and he, he's been kind of going crazy. So we needed to get another pasture mate, but we again wanted something very specific. Um, and you tend to not find those kinds of horses here in Montana easily. So we ended up locating a horse in Washington state because we were going to Seattle to visit some family. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe we'll see something there and it's not, it wouldn't be too bad of a drive to drive that direction. And if we see something, maybe we just you know, since we're driving there anyway, maybe we bring our trailer or whatever. And ended up, lo and behold, that we found, um, I located a horse in Washington State that looked like he would be, again, a good fit. Husband horse material, he had done a lot of trail riding, which is really cool. Um, he had also been used for um, teaching kids and beginners uh, how to jump, which means he would be good for me. And if my kids want to learn how to jump or my husband wants to learn how to jump, we could do that as well. I mean, he just kind of checked all the boxes. Um, and my son was um, very excited about his color, which I don't normally use as a as um, a selector for a horse. But it was it was pretty cool that my son liked his color. Um, so we went to meet him when we drove to Seattle. But he had lost a shoe, um, and I wasn't able to ride him. Um, but we met him and really connected with him. And then the idea was um, after he was kind of back and we came back to our house from our Seattle trip, our visit, um, once he was ready, uh, I basically loaded up my horse trailer just the other day and went to um, check him out. And the idea was to ride him, um, see how I liked him, um, you know, see how I liked him. I knew already that I had met him and I liked his personality and I'd handled him and, you know, I had a good read of him and I liked his history and his background. Um, I just hadn't ridden him. And so the idea was that I was going to ride him and, and, and if all went well, then we would bring him home with us. And so that's what I did. I set off on another multi-state journey driving from Montana through Idaho back to Washington State um, on my own uh, with a horse trailer. And I just got back um yesterday. And it was, it was such, you know, it was really such an adventure, um, going again, because, oh, so many things, so many things like, and I discovered this when we went on our trip to Seattle too. Um, when we went to Seattle, we actually stayed in more of the downtown part of Seattle. Well, not downtown, downtown, but more in the denser, a denser area. It was, uh, we stayed in West Seattle. When we drove out there, we just drove our SUV with just our, our family, um, our kids. We, we did bring the dog along, but um, it was just, it was just people and the dog that went on that trip. 
And when we went on that trip to Seattle um, to visit family and to visit some of our kids' friends, we, I had really noticed a big difference in how I felt as I got into the denser areas. I really noticed a difference. And I noticed just how uncomfortable I would be. And I, you know, I would, I really, really love just being out in Montana. And we don't live, you know, I pass through parts of Montana on my drive going to get this horse where there's no one for miles or there's just kind of like a ranch or you just see some cows. That's not the part of Montana we live in. I mean, there's definitely farms here. There are ranches here in this area. Um, and, but, but there are towns. We're right near Glacier, um, National Park. And, um, you know, we have sushi, we have Thai restaurants, we have, um, a really nice ski resort, uh, not too far away. You know, we have, um, this area is really growing. So there are a lot of people that have lived here for a long time. A lot of people that have come in from other places. So there's, you know, it's, um, we, we eat a gluten-free dairy-free diet. And sometimes I feel like I find better options here than I did in the San Francisco Bay Area, because a lot of the businesses that have come here that have started up recently have come from people from various places and they're used to catering to travelers. And so I kind of feel like, you know, this area has, um, it's like, it's like we're surrounded by mountains. We have, you know, farmland, um, you know, ranches and, and horse farms and, and, um, farms that like grow things from like canola to, um, hay, lots of hay that's growing here and other crops I probably don't even know about yet. But so we have like this kind of farming area, ranch area, mountains, skiing and snowboard, lots of people that like hike and bike and fish and um, hunting. So it's kind of like a big, um, I don't want to say hodgepodge, but it's got a lot of everything, a lot of everything here. And so when I, I, I just love it. I love that there are people around and yet I love that I also feel like it's not so close. It's not, it's not dense at all. Like I love driving on the back roads to get to things. I love driving through a field and seeing, you know, amazing trees and, and maybe a field of canola, which um, can get bright yellow. And then you see the mountains, the snow capped mountains in the distance. I love all of that. I love seeing horses, you know, in the fields. It seems like everybody here has a horse, um, lots of Mustangs and quarter horses. Not, um, there is a whole community too of, of English riders, dressage and adventure riders, some hunter jumpers as well, not as many. Um, but there's that community as well. And so I just love it here. And when we went, when we went to Seattle, um, I really found it challenging to be in the density, to be around, you know, the more urban area where people don't even acknowledge you and um, where when you're in traffic, you know, there's just everybody passing you on the right, the left, no matter how fast you're going. There's just kind of a an erratic kind of energy. And, um, and I don't like that anymore. I mean, we have moments where we get traffic and that sort of thing. Um, you know, when I've driven in Los Angeles, I've driven many, many times, um, into New York city, into Manhattan in, you know, on, in 
Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and, of course, the San Francisco Bay Area where we lived for many years doing lots of traffic. I mean, I I grew up knowing how to parallel park. I knew, I knew at a very young age how to navigate when you have like six lanes of traffic all going at crazy speeds. I mean, that is what I know. And yet what I find is that I have changed and now I just don't like it. I don't like it. Even driving through Spokane, 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 I don't know. I always say it wrong. I have to ask my husband because he, um, he lived in Washington state, um, when he was younger and I always get the name wrong. I always pronounce things incorrectly, but even driving through that, and it's not like a big city like New York city, um, or, or Los Angeles or San Francisco, but even that I could feel the difference driving through there. I could feel the energy and the, and the density and, and all of that. And so I really felt that on my drive. Um, I, I also loved on the drive driving through, um, I mean, it was cool. I drove through, um, there's like a reservation that you drive through. It's a, you know, Native American Indian reservation that you kind of drive through that area, which is kind of more flat and what I thought Montana looked like. Um, and then there are parts where you get to where there's like more woods and kind of like, um, more the mountains and, and, um, you know, rivers and these kind of beautiful valleys. And I drove through that and that was really pretty. And, you know, I ended up going, um, you know, to get this horse and to get this horse. And it's funny because when I brought him back, he kept sticking his nose out the window. He didn't do it the closer when we were closer to his, you know, his departure place. He did it once we started to get up in into like in the mountains. Once we kind of got into Idaho and then in Montana, he kept, um, he's a little bit of a window and he kept sticking his nose out. And what I've noticed, and it's so interesting, because the same thing happened with our other second horse, the one that we sadly had to say goodbye to. He was from, you know, I think he had been from Southern California and then he was in Southern Nevada. And I don't know where else he had been, but when he first got here, he just looked, it's like his eyes were wide. I don't think he'd ever seen anything like this landscape. And I think the horses just, they smell it. They smell the difference. You know, it just, it's different here. And, um, there's an energy to it. And, that's what was happening with this horse I picked up yesterday. He just kept putting his nose out of the window just, just a little bit. And he can't stick his head very far out. It was only open like a few inches, but he would kind of get his nose out and really sniff the air. And it was so cool to watch. And he got so excited when, when we, um, let him out and we put him in a pasture and he kind of ran around and he was just, his eyes were wide as he was looking at everything at the big trees and the mountains and, and the landscape. And then we let him meet our horse, my horse, and they, are just, I wasn't sure how, this is another thing, adventures in ranching. So when you introduce two horses that haven't known each other to each other, but you got them to be together, well, you know, it's, it's kind of like trying to pick your friends, right? Like, could you go out and buy a friend to be your friend? Well, <laughs> that's kind of what you do with a horse if you need a pasture mate. But what if said horses don't get along? So with our first, um, the, the second horse that we got first, uh, that we had to sadly say goodbye to, he was a very low man on the totem pole horse. So he ended up just coming in and becoming completely submissive to my younger, very tall thoroughbred. And, and, um, the height difference wasn't that big between the two of them, actually only a couple of inches, but he was definitely like, um, he was like lower man on the to totem pole, very, very submissive. Um, 
And so the horse that I went to get yesterday, um, I heard that he was actually at the top of his herd where he was coming from. He had um, been kind of the leader of, I believe it was a mare or two, um, which is uh, female horses. And I believe there was maybe a gelding. I can't remember what she said, but he was definitely the leader. And I was hoping that that would be the case because um, that way he could kind of hold his own against my younger guy who, who is not aggressive, but can definitely be dominant. And so here I was yesterday after driving all day, um, introducing these horses to each other and hoping that they, you know, they get along. So we had this like really interesting experience where I first, I, drive up the driveway and I say hi to my my horse my first you know the first horse that I got um my big guy and um he's a big chestnut uh chestnut is kind of like a reddish brown color and um I got out of the truck and I went to say hi to him. He gave me a little bit of the cold shoulder, I think, because I had been away and my husband had been taking care of him. So he normally trots right up to me at the fence and he kind of didn't really do that. He kind of like looked away and kind of gave me a little bit of the cold shoulder um, because I had been gone. And so then I drove the horse trailer with the new horse up to our kind of like our garage area and... um, and I unloaded the horse and I let him, I brought him into this other pasture across the driveway from where my first horse is. And um, I kind of walked him around a little bit so that he would see where the fence line was. And then I let him loose. And basically what we had is two horses the second horse is a thoroughbred as well I don't know if he's pure thoroughbred um I don't have papers on him but he's he's definitely if not all thoroughbred a good bit of thoroughbred in him so we basically had two thoroughbreds one on each side of the driveway in each pasture losing their minds running around like crazy and my young guy was so excited I have not seen him so excited it was like a party. It was like a party. My husband was there videotaping it and he, he's a beautiful mover too. The way he moves, it's, he's just, it's like he has such beautiful grace with how he moves. And, and he was just running all through the pasture, um, watching this new horse across the driveway in this other big pasture. And then the new horse was running around and they're sniffing each other, at each other from you know from across the driveway and they're looking at each other and then they're running and they're running and they're running and um it was a different experience than when I brought the other you know our other horse home the other second horse the one that we had to say goodbye to um it was a very different experience the, the horse that I got yesterday um he he definitely was not being shy at all. He was not being, um, yeah, he wasn't being shy at all. And so we let that happen. And then I ended up, um, bringing them over to kind of touch noses. And then what we eventually did, um, after some other transitions, um, they seemed to kind of be getting, you know, not having like a strong reaction. Um, I mean, excited, but not aggressive towards each other. So eventually what I did is, is I put them in the same pasture and, um, they just ran all around and, um, you know, there was some communication, but there wasn't any like crazy kicking or, or anything like that. And they both seemed to kind of it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be the boss because they both seem to, um, it's not clear yet. My young guy wants to be the boss, but the other guy is the new guy. He's not passive and he's getting the lay of the land right now, but I get the sense that he may rise to the top. We'll have to see how it works out. 
But it's really interesting because they ran all around the pasture. It was so amazing. And then even at one point, my young guy brought the new guy over to this really muddy area. And my new guy rolled. He rolled on the ground, um, which if you don't know what that is, they basically get down on their knees and then they roll on their back and they try to get as dirty as possible. And horses often will do this before like a horse show or, or something where you want them to be really clean. Um, and my, my, my big guy, my first guy, he loves to roll and he loves to be dirty. Um, and he's a, a dark chestnut color. Um, it's kind of sometimes called a liver chestnut. So, uh, a lot of times the dirt doesn't show up as much on him, which is good because he loves to be dirty. And right now he's still got a thick coat from the winter, so that means the dirt sticks even more. Um, but he rolled, and and the, the new guy rolled right, right next to him, which was so fun because they were both comfortable enough to roll right next to each other. And, and, um, and my guy kind of showed him the spot. So they did that, and then they ran around, and then they didn't even come in for dinner last night. They just hung out at the far end of the pasture. I think they were just both so excited. Um, at one point, it was dark, and we put headlamps on to make sure that we didn't have two escaped horses. Um, my husband and I walked down, and there they were at the far end of the pasture, just hanging out um, like as if they've been friends for their entire lives, super excited. And uh, basically what it is, is, you know, it's this kind of brown horse, which is a, it's called a chestnut color, but he's kind of more like a liver chestnut. And then the new horse is, um, it's like a really, really, really dark bay or almost a black. He almost looks black aside from he's got some brown around his nose, his muzzle area. Um, so so those are the those are the colors of those two guys and they just were happy as clams at the far end of the pasture um which we can't even see from our house so it was really interesting to see that they were just hanging out down there um and this morning when I went to feed as well it was the same thing like they were at the far end and my young guy he's very food motivated so I shook some um some horse food pellets in a in a plastic container to make a loud rattle and he did eventually run up um and run in and it's interesting because they already figured out like where they should eat and where they go and oh it's just so interesting and then I ended up bringing them over to this other pasture and letting them loose in there and it's just been such an interesting transition so here we have you know transition of my dog in personality, transition of my kids, transition of my husband and I, um, you know, transition of my horse through acclimating to another second horse now, and really finding and having a buddy that I think is also going to be a good match. It's this adventure in ranching has, has created so many so many transitions for us and our family and it's so so interesting because I I feel like it's also been a transition of just how we live like I've talked a lot about just the amazing feeling of being out and seeing the birds or you know hearing the geese or um just being with the trees or the weather and just really feeling all of that. But I also, I also really feel like there's something really different, really, really different about when you have land that you're doing something with besides just having it be, you know, kind of landscaped and you're sitting out in it. So whether it's, you know, whether you're living in the city and you have a little, uh, a little garden, um, or you in the suburbs and you have a garden or by the beach and you have a garden or, um, you know, you live on a ranch or you live on a farm or a homestead or whatever, 
I find, I find for me that there's something about going out to take care of something on the land. So in my case, it's getting out to feed the horses, you know, it's getting out to shovel manure or clean the pastures or move horses from one place to another. It's like you do it because you sometimes you do it even, you know, when you're tired, you're exhausted, you're sore, whatever, because you need to do it. You know, if it's your garden, you need to weed or you need to pick vegetables or you know whatever garden things you need to do with horses with the a horse ranch or a horse farm or if you have livestock you know you need to take care of your animals you need to take care of your land and there's something about when you go out to do it for that reason that I have found you know you just it's such a different feeling than just going out like living in the city or living in the suburb and going out and hiking in a beautiful place even if you're like an extreme adventure sports person there's something about where you go out as part of a regular thing as part of doing something with the land or doing something with animals it's like you're doing it because it's your daily process and in doing that it causes it causes me for sure to 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 go out even when maybe I didn't want to go out you know if I had if I had had um, if I didn't have to go out I would have probably stay inside because it's cold it's maybe you know minus 30 or it's five degrees or you know it's 90 degrees and we have all those we've had all those temperatures here in Montana Um, but you go out and then in the going out, you notice things like you notice the moon when you go out late at night to feed your horse and it's gotten dark early, you know, you notice the moon and how it is between, you know, seeing it as it's coming up with the trees behind, you notice the the glow on the mountain as the moon casts its glow, or you notice the wind, or you notice um, eyes staring back at you, (laughs) red eyes, which we had happen as well. We're like, what is that? And you know, it's, it's, um, it's your headlamp shining on the deer that are all hunkered down in your woods in the one pasture and you can see them they're not far from you and there's a whole bunch of them um and it's 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 the deer you're seeing the deer eyes you know but you can't see anything except for these eyes glowing and you don't know what it is at first and you're like ah what is this if you're not used to it but going out and and having that or hearing the owl you know hearing the owl or the wind or you know having it start to snowfall or going out and seeing you know the robins that are out um, or you know a crow that's cawing or the eagle that's soaring above you or you're just you're feeding your horse and you're just you're noticing the pasture you're noticing the fencing There's something so grounded. It's so grounding. And I really feel like it's our own connection with nature, with our source of where we're coming from, of nature and and the earth that we are connecting with in those moments. And it's interesting because I feel like for whatever reason, the energy here in this part of Montana, um, maybe because it's not so dense and it hasn't had so many humans living on it. But I, I feel like I've seen a change in our horses, you know, and and it's like their own innate spirit comes out more, their innate self and I see it in how they look how they look around and and I feel like you know this isn't doesn't have to be just a Montana thing but there's something about when you're out in in 
on the land and you're doing something on the land. And it really is a transition and a wonderful, wonderful transition. So whether it's from our dog going from being kind of a a wine country dog to a ranch dog to my kids going from, you know, being a San Francisco Bay Area um, suburban lifestyle with kind of density, you know, lots of activities and options to being more comfortable with mountains and trees and outdoor stuff to the changes of our horses, to the changes of ourselves. These are so many of the transitions we've gone through um, as we've gone on this adventure in ranching. And I know we would go through these changes moving to Montana in general, just because of Montana being different. But I really feel like so many of these changes um, are very different living on a piece of land that is, you know, a bigger piece of land than just a a yard or even, or even like a half an acre, you know, um, getting into having a bit of acreage really has changed everything. It's really changed everything, everything about how we live and the possibilities of, of what we're doing and how we feel and, and how much more comfortable we are out in nature and on the land than we ever were before we moved to this property. And we've done lots of camping and hiking and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, snowboarding and snowshoeing and, and, and all of that. So it's not like we hadn't done that before, but there's something when you do it as part of your daily lifestyle. And there's something about owning the land, owning that land that has changed all of us. So that's what I wanted to talk about in today's episode and share some of these adventures of these transitions we've gone through. So until the next episode, um, I will sign off on that. I'm so glad you joined me on the Adventures in Ranching podcast. To learn more about my other offerings, you can visit my website at michellewaldo.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-W-A-L-D-O.com.